So we are going to finish out today um, this lesson on false teachers. We're talking about false teachers in general. And uh, I think I told you when this semester started, this entire uh, fall, or spring, I should say, um, is, uh, is all about false teaching, false teachers. Um, and uh, it's because it requires uh, great discernment. So just providentially where, where we ended up. Um, and it's, it's going to be something that is more and more uh, prevalent. You're going to require more and more discernment um, in the day in which we, in which we live. Uh, we're actually talking about it even um, last Sunday night uh, in the, the church history um, session that's, that's in here in the, old, in the old auditorium. How error, false teaching, which has always been around, you shouldn't be shocked by it. Jesus says that uh, they'll be there, they were there in the Old Testament, they're there today. Uh, but we were talking about how God actually used it uh, in church history. And so we might touch on that a little bit this morning. But I um, want you to open your Bibles. We'll start uh, at um, Psalm 16. We'll read and then we'll pray. And then I have a little video. It's actually an audio of uh, John dealing with someone who has fallen to false teaching. This is a miktam of David. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good beside you. As for the saints who are in the earth... They are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. It's a great passage um, when you're dealing with somebody who's walked away from the Lord. Their sorrows will be multiplied. The way of a transgressor is hard. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because He is my right hand, I will not be shaken. That's another powerful passage. I will bless the Lord, praise, for He has counseled me, He's given me His truth. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. If you um, pour truth into your, into your mind, in your heart, um, it's there for God to be able to bring it back up, even in the middle of the night, whenever nobody else is, is awake or stirring, you're there alone with your thoughts, your thoughts will be will be accompanied with the word of, of God. Um, I have the Lord continually before me, the same kind of idea. Um, the thoughts of God, who God is, what God's done is just, is just on the forefront of my mind. It's not something I have to start thinking about. It's, it's already there. I'm just 
And because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And there's the fruit from, from that. Keeps you from being shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. There's, there's joy that comes as well. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Now, that's a messianic passage. You will make known to me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. And in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege to, to gather. As I was praying earlier this morning, I just confessed how tired I was, and yet how these men um, just stir my soul and encourage me. So I thank you for being able to start the morning uh, with them. Thank you for your truth. Um, just so invigorating to be able to to look at your word and, and hear about Christ and and be reminded what, what he has done, the creator of all the universe. And, and not only uh, our creator, he's not just out there somewhere, he's, he's, he's living, he's present, he, he, he lives within us. You live within us through your, your Holy Spirit. And I praise you for that. You've given us your word that we might be able to read, even as David says here, the word is is in our minds and our hearts and we we know you because of that thoughts of you and those thoughts come to us in the day and even in the middle of the night and because of that there's security and joy that comes to our hearts we praise you father for all of that we bless us today teach us prepare us for the day that that is ahead as we start it with you in Jesus name amen all right, we're going to be on page 174, and we're going to be looking at biblical titles of false teachers. And I found this uh, little clip. I was actually at the Shepherds Conference. Uh, I have no idea when it was. It was probably 10, 15 years ago, whenever John shared this, uh, this story. And uh, I'll tie it into false teaching in a minute. It's, uh, it's funny and also encouraging flying to El Paso from L.A., and I got my little New Testament and writing some notes because I'm going to do a conference with men in the Civic Center. And sitting next to me is an Arab guy, and um, we're just taking off out of L.A. and open my little New Testament and start writing a few things, and after about ten minutes, this guy says, uh, excuse me, sir? I said, yes. He said, uh, you have a Bible? And I said, I do. This is a Bible. Oh, he said, could I ask you a question about religion? I said, sure. <laughs> sure. He said, he said um, I am from I Iran, and I am new in America, and in my country everyone is Muslim. But in America it's very confusing. So many religions. I, can't, I don't know how to understand all these religions. So he said, I have a question. And I, far away. This was his question. Can you please tell me the difference between a Catholic, a Protestant, and a Baptist? I don't know why he picked on the Baptist, but that was the question. I said, sure. So I kind of gave him a little answer to his question about, you know, Catholicism and sacramental kind of things and about 
Protestants, and, and then I put the Baptists in the Protestant category, gave him a little answer. So I said, uh, well, could I ask you a question? He said, of course. I said, um, are you Muslim? Oh, yes, I'm Muslim. I said, well, um, do Muslims have sins? He said, do we have sins? He said, we have so many sins, I don't even know all the sins. I mean, I knew the answer to the question. I'm just trying to get the thing going. I said, well, um, I don't want to be too personal, but do you do those sins? All the time. I do the sins all the time. In fact, he said, I'm flying to El Paso to do some sins. I said, really? You're flying to El Paso to do some sins? He says, yes. He said, I'm immigrating to America, and the immigration point is at El Paso, and I came through, and I met this girl, and we arranged the weekend, and we will do some sins. Whoa. So I said, um, how does God feel about your sins? It's very bad. It's very bad. I could go to hell. I said, well, why don't you stop doing them? I can't. I can't help it. And I said, well, how can you possibly maybe escape hell? He said, I hope the God Al-Ilah, actually two words in Arabic, I hope that the God will forgive me. And it just struck me at the moment, and so I said to him, well, I said, um, I know him personally, and he won't. <laughs> the guy just absolutely blew all his fuses, because... Because in Islam, God is indifferent, apathetic, and transcendent. They have no connection to God. God has no connection to them. And for somebody to say he knew God was just absolutely absurd. And he looked at me like, he said, you know the God? Like, what are you doing in the middle seat on Southwest, you know? <laughs> Who are you kidding? I said, I do. I know him personally. And he won't forgive you. He's too holy to forgive you. He can't overlook your sin. Has to be punished. I know. But I said, I have some good news for you. I want to tell you, there is hope. I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. He said, well, I know about him. He's a prophet. I said, I want to tell you what he did, and I explained the gospel. And then I called upon him to put his trust in Christ, which he didn't do. I got his address, sent him a bunch of stuff. I know there's a very surprised girl that weekend in El Paso who couldn't figure out what was going wrong that weekend because he was so convicted about his sin. And you say, well, isn't that a pretty direct approach? That's really ultimately the only approach. 
How you get to that approach is that it's the only way to go when you're evangelizing. It's not about Jesus wants to fix your life, straighten out your slice and help you hit more home runs. It's not about Jesus wants to tweak your marriage. It's not even about Jesus wants to give your life purpose. A lot of people have purpose in life that doesn't get them into heaven. It's not about those things. It's about sin. We talk to people about being saved. The first question that a normal person would say is, from what? Am I drowning? What, what do you mean, saved? From what? And people are pretty stunned to find out that they have to be saved from God. Fear Him who destroys soul and body in hell. That's God. You need to be saved from God by God. The issue is always a sin issue. The, uh, the most deadly virus on the planet is not the HIV virus, it's the SIN virus, and it damns the soul to an eternal hell. And the ministry that we have before us is this ministry of telling sinners they can be forgiven. Now, there's some comedy in that, uh, in that story. Um, Hello, ladies and gentlemen, my name is... Hey, you're fine. Um, and it can be very confusing. Um, it can be confusing whenever you start talking about false teaching and false teachers and, and what are they saying and what are they believing and do I need to understand uh, what uh, Muslims believe in order to evangelize them or help them or do I need to uh, go read about Jehovah's Witness or Mormons or whatever it, it is. And, and in reality, um, it does come back to just simply comes back to the gospel. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, from that clip that every time you get on an airplane, you, you need to take, you know, you need to take that approach. But in, in evangelizing people, you bring them to the place somewhere in the conversation where, where it, 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 it confronts them with the reality of, of, of sin. And not just sin of what they do, but, but how that has separated them from, from God. Um, and so when we talk about false teachers and false teaching, there's two, uh, two ditches I don't want you to fall into. One is, is that you have to know a whole bunch of stuff in, in order to, to be protected from false teachers or, or evangelize false teachers, and, and then, uh, you know, because you don't. You need to know the truth, you need to know the gospel, and that in and of itself will protect you, you know, from those things. Know the truth. You've heard the analogy before, the way that they train, um, you know, FBI agents to uh, tell counterfeit uh, dollar bills or $20 bills is they actually make them very familiar with the real thing. So you just need to be very familiar with the real thing, be in the Bible, be in the gospel, and you'll develop discernment as you practice that. So that's one ditch that you want to, you know, stay, stay out of. The other is that this is not about us being right or you knowing something that somebody else does and you're running around pointing out all of the false teachers in the world and somehow you, you, you get an elevated heart you know, because of that because ultimately this is about people going to hell. It's about people who are, that are dying outside of the gospel. So whether that false teaching, that error, that demo, the demonic teaching, Paul tells us that that anything other than the true gospel from the true God is demonically fueled. Um, whether that comes through Islam 
or whether that comes through liberal Christianity or some other perversion that, that comes in, it leads people to the same place and it separates them you know, from, from God. So when you're thinking about working through these false teachings, yes, we need to be aware, we need to know what the Bible has to say, but don't allow that to elevate your own heart and lose compassion for the folks that are caught up in these things. Uh, and then on the flip side, don't think you need to become an apologist of all these false religions. Actually, no Christians. you know. And I understand there's a specialization in people writing books, so I'm not talking about that. But I actually know no Christians that they spend the majority of their time studying false religions. And there may be a purpose for that, but, but that's not what the average person needs to be doing. You need to spend all your time in the Bible uh, and then you'll be able to, to pick up uh, these, these discernments. So this morning, we're on page uh, 147, and we're talking about biblical titles of false teachers. What, what does Scripture use? How does Scripture describe false teachers? Uh, last time, we, we talked about um, the signs and the methods. How, how do they operate and there's always going to be some diversion uh, or perversion, diversion from the gospel or perversion of the gospel, and we talked about that last time. But today we're going to round out by looking at how Scripture defines them. Um, and when you're done, I think you're going to be overwhelmed in a good way uh, at all of the titles that Scripture uses. Uh, I mean, when I went through this list myself and was you know, looking up some of these verses, I was just, wow. I, mean, I know Scripture talks about false teachers and false prophets and those type of things, but this list is super long, and it's very detailed adjectives that, that are used there to describe what they do. And the first one on the list here is probably very well known. False prophets. Somebody... Uh, Look up Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Matthew seven fifteen. Everybody can look there if you want to. Somebody, once you get there, be willing to, to read it for me. And I want you to read through verse 20. So here's the first moniker or title. Second Peter gives us the wanted poster... For false teachers, remember Second Peter and Jude. All the verbs in Second Peter are future tense. Here's what they look like, and they're coming. They're coming to you. Um, beware of them. Second uh, Peter tells us that they're coming, and here's what they they look like. They're going to be about power, money, and sex. Those are the three things that are always going to mark false teachers in 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 some way, and they're going to detract from Christ and the gospel and, and the Bible. So the purpose of 2 Peter is to, is to give us a, um, you know, a, a sketch uh, and then make that into a wanted poster and hang it in the church foyer. But all the verbs are, they're coming, they're coming. Jude says almost the exact same thing as 2 Peter, and the verbs there are present, they're here. They're here, they're here, and then I said you can see the, uh, the, the, the fruit of their error in the seven letters uh, to, uh, 
uh, to Revelation. And so there are the, the characteristics of false teachers in Second Peter and Jude, but here's, here's one of the titles. This comes from Jesus himself. Are you willing to read that for me? All right. Uh, 15 through 20. Now, the first title that we have here is False Prophets. Now, what comes to your mind whenever you hear the term prophet? What does a prophet do? Proclaim. Proclaim something. So, Jesus, this is in the Sermon on the Mount. So, I mean, this is the sermon that he gives. Uh, and if you go to Israel, the Mount of Beatitudes, there's a, there's a Catholic church that's there. We don't know if it took place in that specific site it's somewhere in this, in, on the hillside above Capernaum. Um, but the Sermon on the Mount was not a single sermon that Jesus set, set everybody down and gave. This is what he was preaching, uh, this same sermon, these, these same themes that he was preaching all around, uh, all around Galilee. He may have given this in a single sermon, but this wasn't the only time that... Um, that he preached it. And one of the things that he warns the people about are false prophets, people that are proclaiming false things. Now, in the Old Testament, you, you, it, you were stoned if you were a false prophet. If, if you proclaimed God said something and it didn't come to pass, that was proof, obviously, that God didn't say it, and you were, you were killed uh, for that. So here, though, Jesus says that... Go listen to what he says again about false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. What's he, how's he describing them? They're going to come with a false message. So they're, they're, they're going to come with a message. They're proclaiming something, and it's false. And he describes how, they, how they'll present themselves. What's he saying about how they'll present themselves. They look like the real thing. Okay, they look like the real thing. They come in in sheep's clothing. They, they, they come in gentle and soft and, and unthreatening, and, and yet underneath they're, they're ravenous wolves. Now, you've probably watched National Geographic or, or other, and you've seen what a pack of wolves will do um, to, a, to a carcass or even to, to an animal. Um, they run in packs. They'll chase the herd. And what do they normally prey on? The strong bulls that are running out front? The weak? And they find one in the back? Or they'll get one separated from the group, and then they'll circle it and run it down and pounce on it, and then they'll devour it. I mean, these are really, this is really strong language that Jesus uses. And, and he says that you'll be able to know them by their what? By their fruits. Now, here's one of the problems that, that we face, or the dangers that we face. Fruit isn't always immediately 
discernible. So especially in our day, you, you run across something on YouTube and it sounds good, but you really don't know who the guy is, or you listen to a sermon, or somebody comes in to a church, or a book that you pick up in the airport, or wherever it is, and you don't know anything about the person, and you just start reading, you're, you're not going to be able to discern their fruits. Sometimes it, it, it takes you to know. So A, I would say don't read anything or listen to anyone if you don't know who they are or what they're, you know, what they're about. Um, commentaries or, or, or otherwise. You have to be very, very careful because not everybody is, is going to be faithful you know, to, to the truth. Um, and then secondly, just, just you know, don't embrace somebody very quickly. Watch their life. Look at their life. If you can't observe them, um, then, then, then be very cautious, which means that I'm listening to older men, not younger men, because... 20-somethings and 30-somethings, they, they may be straight up and right on when they come out of the gate, but they haven't run long enough to know how they're going to finish the race. I'm looking at who they surround themselves with, who they're reading, what they're doing, and then I'm looking at their life. Um, that passage in Timothy that, that uh, everybody loves to use, youth pastors love to, to use, let no man despise thy youth. You know, Don't look down on me because I'm young, and then it gives the conveniently leave out the rest of the verse, the, the way that you'll keep people from despising your youth is being an example in all of these, these godly characteristics and fruit you know, in their life. So be looking for those kinds of things. Who they surround themselves with, um, do they desire preeminence, what Scripture says, because you can go down a rabbit hole really, really fast. So we talked about this on Sunday night. There are very good men that have been extremely helpful in, you know, in evangelicalism in the church. I've gleaned greatly from some of these men, whether it's John Piper or Tim Keller or um, who is the, the uh, um, secret church guy, the IMB, uh, David Platt. I mean, these, some of these guys have been extremely helpful, and I'm not saying you have to throw out all of their works, but... They've gotten really just super far off the rails with the critical race theory and Black Lives Matter and those kind of things. And, uh, and what do you do with that? It's, that's, that's difficult. It requires a, requires a lot of discernment. We used to use a book in our new members classes from Thabiti Anambule, who was uh, one of Mark Dever's original interns. When we started our intern, uh, internship years ago, 10-plus years ago, before we ever even got uh, into Expositor Seminary and was part of it, we started an internship, and myself and one other guy went to, to D.C. And, and sat with Dever and sat in on their internship and looked at how they were doing everything. And Thabiti was not there then, but he hadn't been gone long. It was an excellent program. This was when Nine Marks just got started, and, and it was just very helpful because nobody was talking about these kinds of things and, uh, and now we won't even use the Beatty's book because he's in a category all, all to himself. So how guys start is not always how they finish. And, um, and you, have to be, you have to be careful. So uh, they're fruits. That's what you're trying to, trying to discern. And that's not to discount that there are issues in culture and that there's you know, genuine prejudices and all of those kind of things out there. There, there are evils and problems in, in the world. That The issue is the gospel in a biblical church 
is what will solve those things. We're, we're one in Christ. A biblical understanding that, that there are not multiple races, there's one blood. We all come from, from Noah. I mean, even the whole idea of multiple races comes from evolution, um, not from a biblical view. You and I are absolutely no different whatsoever based on how much melanin is in our skin. Um, our issue is that we are either sinners or we're redeemed by Christ. And in Jesus Christ, we come together as one body, Jew or Gentile or whatever else you know it is. So to get off in the weeds of those things actually detracts from the gospel and the unity that we're supposed to have in, in the church. And so there are false prophets that, that come into to the world, and they're part of divinely inspired prophets, but they speak falsehoods under the name of divine prophecies. Now this is actually pointing to um, those inside the, the church. And we'll get to the word of faith movement and those kind of things, I think, in the next lesson. So we won't spend too much time here. Um, but within the, the church, there are those who, who come with a message, beginning, well, thus saith um, the Lord. Um, in cessationist churches like, like ours, there's, there's no thus saith the Lord out of, outside of the Bible. But don't think, because we are cessationists, meaning that we don't believe that there are prophecies and visions and those type of things today, Scripture is, is closed, and um, we believe that because Scripture teaches that, but we're not immune to this. In my independent Baptist background, and maybe some of yours, it, it, it went something like this. You know, God spoke to my heart. Um, the Lord led me to do this. And you be very careful about saying that, um, because you don't know whether it was God uh, or the devil, or your conscience, or you know, or what? So the sub, the, the subjective leading of the of the spirit uh, is is an area that you have to be very cautious uh, about. Um, the still small voice, God speaking to your heart. God works in providence, and and uh, and he 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 guides us. But you don't need to run around contemplating, you know, your, your spiritual navel. Uh, Proverbs 16 says, A man devises plans, and the Lord directs his steps. So you have the objective truth of Scripture. You walk in the Bible. You get up every day. You do what you know to do. And then God loves you, and he will direct your, you know, your life. And you seek counsel whenever you, whenever you need that. Um, but, so you can have that, that type of situation. I've told you the story about my pastor who would call me sometimes at 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon and say, um, I mean, he did this many, many times. Uh, I, think the, I think the Holy Spirit uh, uh, is leading me to let you preach tonight. He wants you to bring the message. Um, and you know, of course, the joke is you find out later he didn't have one. And so now here I'm literally, here I am at 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. All right, I'm going to prayer. And I'm opening the Bible. And I'm, all right, Lord, you've got to give me a message. That's, that's what it was called, to give me a message. And I'd go to the Bible, and I and I would I would read, and I and I would look, and if something was resonating in my heart, or okay, you know, and then I just I'd start scratching there and see what you know, see what came to the surface. The problem with me was, I I fairly new in the faith, maybe three or four years. So there, when I'm scratching around, there's not a lot below, below the surface. There's not a lot in the in the reservoir. I mean, if you ask me to preach today, 
I could probably do that a lot better because I've got 25 years of, of studying Scripture. There's something in the well to be able to, to draw up from. I might get myself in trouble because I'm speaking extemporaneously and I chase a, chase a rabbit that I don't need to chase and my, my mouth gets, gets ahead of me at, at times, but that, that's what it looked like. I remember going into a, a specific church on a Sunday morning with that mentality, the Lord's going to give me a message and I'm praying about it, and literally, I'm sitting on the pew, and they're singing the songs, and I'm waiting on the Lord to give me the message, what He wants me to preach. And I excused myself and went to the bathroom, got on my knees in the bathroom floor in this church, pleading with the Lord that He would give me a message, because that's the way that it worked. The Spirit of God placed on your heart what He would want the people to, you know, to have. And the idea was, these are your sheep, and who am I? And, and you know, God, you know what they need. You know what they're going through. So, so, so speak to them. And there's truth in that. God does know what you need and what you're going through. And I don't. And He does care. But He'll apply the truth of Scripture to you. I don't need to, to try to discern what you need. The Lord knows what you need. So I preach the Scriptures... And the Spirit of God applies it to each of your hearts. That's the reason at the end of a sermon, I don't need to go through the natural litany of, you know, is there sin in your life? Do you need to join the church? Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to stop looking at pornography or whatever it is? Give these general applications. When I preach the Word and it's accurate and it's according to Scripture, then you're sitting there and the Spirit of God is taking that and He's putting it on your heart because He knows what's going on in your life. I don't. It would be impossible to do that. And, but here I am pleading with the Lord for that. I walked in the pulpit and uh, I said to them that very thing. I've been waiting on the Lord because the church was, was the church like that and I'm waiting on the Lord to give me the message. And He hadn't given me the message. So I'm just going to share my testimony with you. And I shared my testimony, and, you know, of course, I don't have to prepare to do that. And this is a very dramatic testimony. And then after it was over, you know, as folks are coming up to me going, ah, that, that was the message right there. I mean, the reason that God didn't give you the message is because that's what He wanted you to share. And that testimony was helpful to my heart. Well, testimony was helpful to their heart because the gospel was there, but it didn't have anything to do with me being on the bathroom floor and not having a, you know, not having a message. And so just some of the subtle ways that that, that type of stuff you know, can, can come out. It's very, uh, very harmful, uh, very deceptive. Look at the second one there, false Christs, false prophets, false Christs. I would say if you would want to define a false prophet, the idea is they proclaim error in some way. And error is not just what you say, but it's also what you leave out. Did you notice what John was saying there about the gospel? Um, you don't start with Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life until you make sure that they understand that they're on a collision course with God. Now, a lot of people know that. I knew that. I, nobody needed to tell me I was a sinner. I knew I was a sinner. In fact, I'm a few weeks away from a divorce hearing because I am a sinner, and I know that. So I needed somebody to just 
take me right to Jesus because my life had beat me up to the point where I know that, that I'm, I'm lost. But a lot of people that you'll encounter don't know that. They think they're pretty good folks. Um, and they think that they, they have, their God's going to weigh it out on the scale you know, in the end. So proclaiming error, and it's not just what you say, but what you leave out about God, whole counsel of God, who God is. And this one's false Christ. Um, the example that he gives here is uh, they, they claim the false Christ claimed the office of Messiah. And in the most technical sense, that's true. I mean, uh, you probably watched the documentaries on Jim Jones or, uh, you know, the guy that years ago, was, it, was that in the 60s, 70s? Looking at some of you that are a little older than me. When was Jim Jones? 70s, he got everybody to drink the Kool-Aid. Um, that's where that idea comes from, drinking the Kool-Aid. They use it a lot in politics now. Um, very sad situation. Cult leader and isolated folks and moved them uh, Central America. Is that where it was? No, Africa. Africa. And um, so when, when they're going to expose him, you know, he's preaching all of this, you know, the world's against you, it's just, you know, we're the only ones and has cyanide laced Kool-Aid and was a mass murder. David Koresh um, proclaimed to be Jesus Christ, and he was in Texas. And uh, federal authorities there, they raided the place, and I don't know whether they figured out whether he set it on fire or whether something happened there, but a lot of people died. So obviously there are people who are that deranged who say they, they're Jesus or they're they're false Christ. Joseph Smith. Um, they don't have to proclaim that they're Jesus, but they have a direct, direct line. But it also doesn't have to be that frontal. I would put deceitful leaders in this category, which is that, that same kind of idea. They're, these men, and sometimes women, are very charismatic. You ever just met somebody that Man, there's just something about them that's followable, uh, even whenever they speak. The, the man that discipled me was a good man, still a good man. He's a pastor in Texas now. I can remember he shows up at this Southern Baptist church, and it was a, it was a good church, but kind of laid back. And they, he's a new pastor in town. They asked him to come uh, to a uh, church volleyball league thing that they were having, five or six churches to get together, and he's the new guy, so they asked him to, to do a devotional. What do you, would you do a devotional? And um, Brett's a Texan by birth, man of few words, and they call him to get up there, and he says, I don't do devotionals, I just preach. And 30 minutes later, there were about eight people that came to Christ. This guy just, when he spoke, you know, the proverbial E.F. Hutton, he just com had a commanding presence about him. It's like you wanted to listen to what he had to say. I mean, he could have you trembling. Uh, and it was just something that, the, that, that he's, he's wired with or gifted, you know, gifted by the Lord. Well, that's great whenever the, those men are in the Lord's hands, but there are other men that are like that that are not. E easy, to, you know, easy to follow. You, you wonder you know, why somebody follows... Um, you know, some of, the, some of the guys that are out there. Have you ever listened to Andy Stanley? He's an excellent communicator. 
Um, who's the uh, the dark-haired um, uh, other guy that's um, North Carolina? Furtick. Dave Furtick. Er, uh, Steve. Steve Furtick. Have you ever listened to him? I'm not advising you do that, but if you... I mean, this guy is very, very charismatic. Um, so, you know, Satan is not no dummy. He doesn't get uh, somebody who can't lead. So these are deceitful uh, leaders. False Christ, false prophets, false Christ. Turn the page there. They're also false apostles. So I would say these are folks that do a contrary message. So they're you know, those that are proclaiming error. They're those that are deceitful leaders, and they're also those that have a contrary message, a message that's contrary to grace alone. False apostles preach a different gospel. So in the purest form, Galatians 1.6, Paul says, if anybody comes and preaches a different gospel, a gospel different than what I have proclaimed to you, then, then they're to be accursed. Seeking to control people with a claim of apostolic authority and bring people under bondage. Um, this can happen more easily in non-cessationist churches and in some charismatic bodies, not all, but some, as they allow for the continuation of apostolic authority. You've probably seen a number of those folks on, um, you know, on, on TV. Um, I would say that you could also, you know, find those in in just about any denomination. Um, our own circles, uh, single pastoral leader, super strong authority, Jack Howells would fall into into that category. Um, probably find a a numbers list. They'll preach things like. Touch not the Lord's anointed. Heard that before? Um, meaning, I'm, I am, I'm tamping down any potential uprising going on right now. Um, pastor brings all the deacons up front and has them affirm. You know, then there's an issue in the church during a business meeting. Now, all, every one of these men stand with me. And they're looking at the church. So you better not go against the Lord's anointed. That kind of nonsense. I don't have any authority over you other than the Scripture. Uh, but whenever the Scripture speaks, that's authority over all of us. That's why there's also safety in a plurality of, of elders and, and godly men. And you say, well, those are leaders. Well, look at this next one. It's true. False brethren. Oh, now we're in the church pews. These are all biblical terms. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Galatians 2, 4. False brethren come into congregations and, cease, uh, and seek to bring others into slavery to the internals. These are folks inside the church. They're on the, on the pew. Um, it's not a perfect system. But one of the reasons that we do membership interviews, we do a new member's class, we do a new member's covenant service, folks meet 
elders, pastors meet with people. The reason we do that is because it's guarding the, the flock on the, you know, on the front end. Obviously, you can get off track there. You don't want to make the, you know, the, the wall so high that, as MacArthur said, you, you can get in the kingdom, but you can't get into our church. That's, that's not the goal. We believe in regenerate church membership. Saved, regenerate people. We're all in different stages of sanctification, so it's not that you need to know, you know, everything that a TES student knows or anything, you know, like that. But um, you're you have a testimony. You're a believer. You're teachable. You're humble. I actually have people call uh, the church office and will call and ask for me, or they'll send me an email. Um, they're thinking about moving to the church, or moving to Lynchburg, and they found us on, you know, on some list, and they have a list of questions. They want to know, where does the church stand on these things? That's a good thing, trying to figure out ahead of time what a church believes. Um, you should do your due diligence, but you can also tell a lot by the questions that they ask. Um, and I've had situations where they've asked specific questions, and I know exactly why they're asking them and where they're coming from, and I usually will answer that Timberlake's probably not the church for you. And I, I do that in order to protect the, the body because this is a, a, an issue-driven person somebody who's decisive, uh, divisive, I should say. And um, you don't want those kind of folks in the church. I've had people that have been in the church for a period of time. Um, and have been here six months and you know sometimes longer, and you can just see that there's an axe that they have to grind, and every time it comes up and sparks fly, and, and some of them are, are, are really smart guys, especially with liberty in our back, backyard. These are professors or others, and they want to garner a, you know, a little flock amongst the, you know, the flock. And, and I've set those men down and said, you know what? This is probably not the place that you need to be. There's probably a church that's in that's in a better uh, you know flow for you than than where we're at. And most of the time, that works you know works well. Um, you should be beware uh, those kinds. Of, that's one of the jobs of a you know jobs of an elder. So you have to not just look for the devil behind the pulpit, but also on the on the church pew. False brethren can come into the, into the congregation. Um, the next word tells you uh, one of the things that they do. False circumcision. Um, these are the, one of the ways they try people to bring people into slavery. They're related to false brothers above. They likewise seek to bring people under the law, worshiping the externals. Well, in this case, by a circumcision or various other forms of, of law-keeping. According to Paul, they're dogs and evil workers. Not a very kind name, right? <laughs> um, they put their confidence in the flesh rather than, rather than Christ. Now, here's something that requires discernment. It's hard, um, but it's something you're required to do. The world says... You know, judge not lest you be judged. Who are you to judge me? And that's true. We're not to judge, meaning that we sit in the seat of condemnation. We lift ourselves uh, above others. But Scripture calls us to be discerning. Uh, 
you're required to discern, which means you're evaluating somebody's life and their message and drawing a conclusion. In fact, we're commanded to do that in Matthew 18. I mean, what's the whole point of church discipline? You're showing your brother his fault, which means that you have to evaluate that it's faulty, and there's a built-in safety mechanism there. You go to him humbly, Show him his fault, meaning you lay out the case before Scripture, and if he says, no, that's not what I'm doing, or you're wrong, then, then you repent. So, and then two or three witnesses are confirming that it's not just you grinding an axe with something you don't like. This is, there's not a magic number there of two or three. The point is, it's confirmed. This is not just your little thing. I mean, this is orthodox truth. This is Scripture, and you're bringing that to bear. There's no list of sins there. It's failure to hear. And then the church as a whole you know, confirms that. What are you confirming? And at the very end of that, it says if they refuse to hear the church, it's the way I memorized it, like you, know, you let them be unto thee as a heathen and a publican, meaning the church is to treat them like an unbeliever. So the church is drawing a judgment. There, there, it's not a final one. Only God makes a final judgment, but it is a functional judgment. You're evaluating, you're confronting, and you are drawing a conclusion about somebody's life or, or, or otherwise. And um, you have to do that on a, on a regular basis. Um, one of the things that, uh, that, one of the areas that you have to do that with are, are, are even good things. Things that, that are law-keeping, um, things where you put confidence uh, in the flesh. Colossians 2, taste not, touch not, handle not. Um, that's true. I would rather try to loosen up a legalist than tighten up a libertine. Um, once you, you, know, you're, you're, you have uh, lots of freedom, it's harder to put a yoke on you. Um, So I would rather try to loosen somebody up and structure your conscience properly, according to Romans 14. Your conscience is responding to the highest uh, law in your mind. Whatever you believe to be what God would have you to do, whether that's right or wrong, your conscience is sounding off. It's like a smoke detector. In Romans 14, they're weak and they're strong consciences, meaning that there are people that have a higher law in their mind or a lower law. And you're to instruct your conscience according to Scripture. Your conscience can be wrong, but it's going off. You know, I do, I do not play golf on Sunday because Sunday is the Lord's day. And, and I play golf on Sunday and something bad happens to me on Sunday and I assume that that was the Lord punishing me for playing golf on, on Sunday um, or you know, some other derivative uh, of that. Um, you, if you come from a background like me where you were engaged in sin in a specific area and you come out of that, like me with drinking, you come out of that, you, you, you may run really far in this direction to stay really far away from that. And, uh, and that may be okay in the beginning. Just be careful that you're not putting those convictions on other people. Um, and then you start you know, swinging back you know, into a more into a more balanced you know approach. I mean, I got rid of my TV. I st- still don't drink alcohol, but just stayed 
very, 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 very far away from that, places I used to go, and that was helpful for me in the beginning, whenever I came to Christ. But now when I start taking that and say that that's what you need to do, now we've got a problem. Um, and so it's taking an area of, of, of conviction that, that may be personal, and you begin to apply that to other people and say, this is what God commands you to do, which is what Romans 14 you know, is, is, is all about. Um, Colossians 2, taste not, touch not, handle not, usually take uh, an aspect of Scripture and overemphasize it. Um, happened quite a bit in, uh, in the family-driven movement, whether that was homeschooling or um, Gothardism or uh, a family-integrated church taking one aspect of Scripture that's true and elevating that above everything else, and then that becomes the grid system through which you see church. Um, Has God given fathers as leaders in the home and men leaders in the church? Yes. But the patriarchy movement that comes out of that elevates that to, to a degree, and then that filters into all the other aspects of of, of, of Scripture. So it's taking one aspect and, and elevating that up above rather than keeping it in the, you know, the, the continuum of all of the teachings in the, you know, in the Bible. Um, Jesus specifically says even your, your marriage is only for earth. I mean, we'd love to sing, will the circle be unbroken, but the only thing that is eternal is the church. It's the only thing that's eternal. And in fact, Jesus said that I come to bring a sword and I may even divide your family with the gospel. You may believe the gospel and the rest of your family not. And I understand the saying is blood is thicker than than water, but it's not thicker than the Spirit. And the Spirit is what binds you in the church. Now, does God love family? Does He establish family? Does He want biblical, godly families? Yes, of course. But you can take something that's good and elevate that above where it's supposed to be in in Scripture, and then you begin to, to, to place that on other people, and then it gets off track um, and can be, can be very, very uh, problematic. How do you evangelize somebody who is a single mother who's, you know, who's divorced in a family-integrated church? Um, it's only about the family. Everybody there has got you know, 12 kids, and they're all homeschooling. You know, I homeschool. I have five kids and two in heaven. I love kids. I think we ought to have more of them. I, I'm just thrilled to death whenever they come. I think homeschooling is a wonderful way in order to educate you know, your, your children. Um, but that's a personal decision that, I, that, that I'm making before the Lord. What's scriptural? I'm responsible for the education of my children. I'll stand before God and, and, and give an account for that. However I choose to delegate that is between me and the Lord. That's not something that, that you know, I foist on, you know, on somebody else and then you know, make that... Uh, uh, Make a church around it. 
Yes. Explain that for us. Well, they have a Christiocentric uh, hermeneutic versus bibliocentric. So they they see Jesus in everything, and, uh, and that everything was already over with. And they were helping people see that 70 AD was the tipping point of real uh, eschatology. And so it was a subtle thing because apparently he's going to deny that Christ isn't the theme of the scripture. Almost sounds preteristic. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would just take what he just said there and and go back to that same grid system. Anytime you take one thing, whether in this case eschatology or family, um, and that becomes your hermeneutic, you're now reading the Bible through the family. You're now reading the Bible through your eschatology, or you're reading the Bible through your theological grid system. Um, Baptists historically, you know, are Calvinistic. But if that understanding of Scripture then leads you to start disobeying the Bible of not evangelizing people, then you've allowed that to become your hermeneutic, and that's a problem. Um, you just constantly come back to Scripture, uh, which there's all kinds of tensions there to hold us where we, we, we need to go. And when you get too far to the other side, which is, you know, I've I got to go win them all, and if not, then their blood's on my hands, then Scripture pulls you back in the other ways and says, wait a minute, only God's the one who can save. And if you get too far on only God's the one that can save, then, then Scripture you know, puts a cattle prod on you and says you need to share Jesus with somebody because people are dying and going to hell. And Exposition and approaching Scripture with a, with a consistent hermeneutic just keeps that, you know, that good tension there. Uh, look at this list. This is probably what I was overwhelmed by in a good way. Other deceptive titles. So you've heard false prophets, false apostles, false brethren, false circumcision, antichrists. Um, you've probably heard those, those terms. But look at these other deceptive titles. Be overwhelmed with how many there are and how Scripture de- describes anybody outside of the bounds of Scripture. Savage wolves. They stalk, they pounce, they run in packs, and they're not sparing the flock. I would add to that an article, the title of Wounded Wolves. There was an article, and they've unfortunately got off track a little bit too, but the Gospel Coalition, I think the Gospel Coalition, uh, Google uh, an article on Wounded Wolves. These are the victims um, of spiritual abuse in the church and how dangerous they can be because the idea or the thought is nobody can question them. 
because they've been abused by the church. And so they run in all of these different unbiblical areas and nobody can call them out because the whole issue is I've been abused by the church. The church has abused me with the truth. Um, Very, very dangerous today. Most of them are women, frankly. Um, Savage wolves, slaves of their own appetites. They're driven by craving. Dogs and enemies of the cross of Christ. Deceitful workers. They use manipulative tactics. Uh, Apostles, liars, Christ rejectors. Conceited and understand nothing. Men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth. Rebellious, empty talkers, deceivers, and false professors. Factious, perverted, self-condemned. This is your second Peter. Unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct, reviling where they have no knowledge, stains and blemishes, reviling or reveling in their deceptions, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children or cursed children, uh, forsaking the right way, they've gone astray, springs without water, mist driven from a storm, from whom the black darkness has been reserved. Talk about graphic. Mockers, untaught, unstable, from the world, the spirit of error, deceivers, Jude, it's the parallel to Peter, hidden reefs, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by wind, Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Grumblers, finding faults. Be careful doing both of those things. Following after their own lusts, they speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage, devoid of the Spirit. These deceptions describe the tactics and the results of false teachers. They're in every fellowship, without exception. Just overwhelmed by the titles and how graphic um, that they are, and um, they're behind the pulpit and on the on the pews. Next week we'll get to some of the errors and tactics, but. Any closing thoughts? All right, now that you're probably just about awake enough to go to work, let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for a Bible. And I thank you for... um, good interpretive methods that have been proven over time that we can know what you say. I thank you for 2,000 years of faithful men that have walked before us, that have worked some of these angles, some of which have gotten it wrong and come back to right, and that we're just able to use all of that to keep our own hearts on the right track because we're, we're no better. We're easily deceived. 
And yet, you've, you've given us a sure word, and we're to study to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. So help us to do that. Thank you for these men, their love for the truth. Take something that was shared this morning that was helpful and uh, use it in their lives for, for your glory. Um, thank you the encouragement that they've been to me. Bless them as they go to work. In Jesus' name, amen.